Hi there. My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. The preached texts are included in the audio of this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the episode description. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our reading today comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus continues, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are my members, members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ, and happy Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ Sunday, as we sometimes call it now. Christ is in charge the way royalty would be in charge of a kingdom like back in ancient times. Sunday. (laughs) We can frame it a few different ways, of course, but it serves to mark the end of the church year, and it ties together what we've been seeing over the last, well, three weeks especially, going through Matthew 25 with these parables, the series for this chapter, and the last few months to a degree. And it marks the transition into the new year as we end with anticipating Jesus' return and then go into Advent, a season in which we anticipate the coming of the Savior. 
Jesus is speaking about his return here. There's a coming judgment. It's apparent that he will judge the whole world, but like we've seen before, there's a strong implication that he's eyeing the church. That's because most of those judged negatively are people who knew better. They knew the bridegroom was returning in one parable. They knew the master was returning in the next. They knew Jesus was coming to judge here. And yet they didn't do as he asked in the meantime. Now, I've somewhat deviated from a theme I had set out for the year. If you can remember, 12 months back, I suggested that because Matthew has such a focus like this, such a focus on Judgment Day, that we would explore different Christian concepts of heaven and hell and salvation and condemnation and all the rest. And I have done that in preaching much more than I would have otherwise. But once we were put at a distance like this, uh, in light of that, I've, I've backed off a bit. But I said back there last year that this is where we would conclude this parable, unique to Matthew, incredibly memorable and famous, and a shock to us grace-oriented Lutherans. Jesus came back to separate the sheep from the goats because of what they did or did not do. The sheep cared for the least of these, fed the hungry, visited the prisoner, and so on, welcomed the stranger. The goats failed to care for the least of these. They didn't give a drink to the thirsty. They didn't visit. They didn't care for the sick, and so on. So let's add it to the list in these parables. When the bridegroom returned, those who were unprepared for his return were left in darkness. The master on his return found the one who, out of fear, failed to act and cast him out in darkness. Now, a bit more explicit with the Son of Man, Jesus comes back to judge, but it's still in parable because it's like separating sheep from goats. Why? Well, we can consider some options, of course, but let's just jump to the one I find the most interesting. You who work with animals would have no trouble nowadays telling a sheep from a goat. Those of us who don't work with animals and just drive by them in the countryside can get them mixed up, mistake one for the other. It's probably worth noting that their differences would have been less pronounced in biblical days. For example, sheep there had long, thin hair, as did the goats. Thick-wooled sheep come from places that get cold in the winter, but not the Middle East. Curiously enough, there is only one Hebrew word for both. One word for sheep and for goats. If Jesus gave this sermon, and he probably did at some point in Hebrew or Aramaic, it would have sounded a bit more like the way a shepherd separates sheep from other sheep. Context clues may have given away what he meant, but it's interesting because of what that metaphor in this parable implies. That for the sake of this parable, you probably cannot tell a sheep from a goat just by looking at them, which introduces an interesting tension. I've got a fair bit of that today. On the one hand, we have what we sometimes phrase in our culture as only God knows their heart. Whether someone's saved, whether their motivations are pure, and all the rest are matters between that person and God, and only between them and God. After all, both sheep and goats will be surprised to find out that they are in fact sheep or goats. Some of them didn't see it coming. Only God knew. On the other hand, within the confines of this parable at least, the sheep and the goats are separated again by what they did. The most obvious, observable sort of measure you could use to figure out where someone belongs. Did you feed the hungry? Did you welcome the stranger? 
A possible moral of the story that could relieve this tension and fit perfectly well with the rest of Matthew and what's unique to Matthew, like the Sermon on the Mount, would be a, a lesson like this. Don't worry about what other people are doing, but do worry about yourself. While we're at it, the fact that sheep and goats look the same adds to this implication that Jesus, again, is eyeing us, the church, in particular. Because if the saved are sheep, before Jesus goes to sort them out, the goats are intermingled and largely indistinguishable. Add to that that the things the sheep and goats were expected to do were the exact same sort of things Jesus calls us to do. And the sort of things Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Add to that the target of those ministries in this parable is other members of Jesus' family. So what do we do? Well, it'd actually be quite easy to preach this as fire and brimstone. Some of us have fallen short. We're those of us in the church, some of us are here for the social advantages. We're here to seek to help ourselves rather than to help others. And we better get our act together. But at the same time, we still know that we're not saved by what we do. That's not how we get there. At the same time, we know that law like this, when we're accused by the word of God, is always accompanied by gospel, reliefs in there somewhere. Even the harshest of sermons from, from Jesus have that drive, that motivation. They convince us to seek God in new and more meaningful ways. For these past few weeks, I've been entertaining the idea on and off that what we sometimes quickly, perhaps even lazily, assume is hell in these parables, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, may in fact be something else. Perhaps it's sorrow and regret that comes from poor choices. We see it in this life. Maybe it's expanded out into the next. Perhaps it's the negative consequences that only goes about as far as, you know, you didn't get to enjoy the heavenly banquet like some others did, and that's not good. Perhaps that's what it means for God to both be, uh, to be a judge that is both, merc both merciful and fair. Now, here we have fire and eternity mentioned, so just take this one as kind of a what if, but maybe this isn't hell either. What if the punishment for the goats is that they have to go be with other goats? What if the reward for the sheep is that they go to be with uh, other sheep? There's a parallel to that in this life. If you want to have nice friends, be a nice person. Good thing to teach your kids. It may be, the only, it may be only fitting that it carries into the next life. That may be fair, that those who are self-seeking are made to live with those who are self-seeking into eternity, like the devil and his angels, while those who were selfless are gifted to live among others who are selfless. Eternity just takes this sense of cosmic justice the way we think it ought to be here and expands it into the hereafter. That again would be judgment that is both merciful and fair. But for today, let's go back to where we began and remember, again, law always accompanies gospel and vice versa, and the word of God afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. It's an ongoing theme here as we wrap up Matthew's year. If these words from Jesus make you squirm, take that to heart. Sit up, make some changes. But the good news is, well, this is Christ the King Sunday, the reign of Christ. We're looking to the future, to Jesus' return, and living into this already not yet tension of the gospel. Come what may, whatever salvation and condemnation looks like, well, we won't know for sure till we get there. They will be mo motivated by God's love for humanity, by grace and mercy, and they will be fair. The world we live in now is what? 
harsh, chaotic, cold, calculated. More often than not, it's unfair. Bad things happen to good people while good things happen to bad people. The good news here is that no matter where we fit into it, the world will be created in a way that all those injustices are a matter of the past because the king of all creation, Jesus, the epitome of self-giving mercy and love, his reign will come to fruition in charge of every little thing. And we will be there forever and ever. That's the good news. Wherever we fit into it, this world will be made as it should be. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other and have a great rest of the week.